our team going to the Philippines, only one of us wore the team shirt. Only one of us represents. Uh, I, I did see KJ and Allegra and Lynn yesterday, right before they got their picture taken, said, let's all wear our shirt tomorrow. And so we talked a little bit about it, and here it is, all right? And then, then even Dan said he had it in his car, but he didn't wear it, so you don't get any, you don't get any uh, brownie points in heaven for not wearing it, all right? But uh, we're excited about going, and it's an opportunity to uh, represent Christ and His church as uh, we just join hands with those who already know the Lord in the Philippines uh, who are running a camp, as well as a number of churches, and we're excited about uh, being hands and feet of, uh, and mouthpiece of Jesus as well. Uh, it's uh, one of the things when you go on a mission trip, uh, you have to be prepared to do anything at any time, any moment, and that's why I'm wearing the T-shirt and no one else is wearing the T-shirt. But um, also, I found out uh, this week that I'm supposed to uh, preach twice uh, while I'm there, and uh, also, I guess, give a testimony at an evangelistic uh, event. And the one thing I was told, however, and I cannot understand why she felt she needed to say this, but she said, you need to speak slowly, and you only get 30 minutes. So you need to pray very faithfully that I will speak slowly and only speak for 30 minutes. But anyway, we're excited about going. I also want to let you know that we've been um, putting together what we call a resource center in, in our fellowship hall. And in it, there's a lot of great uh, tools there for taking an honest look at your life and the areas of your life that need to be brought over to the surrender of the Lord Jesus Christ. As people have experiences, whether it's at a vacation Bible school or a mission trip, or whether it's a high school camp, um, you get all jazzed about surrendering your life to God, and then you realize that life happens. And there's all kinds of things there that will be very helpful tools. We highlighted a few things in your bulletin. A couple of booklets, How to Love Difficult People and Redeeming Your Painful Past. Uh, I've had an opportunity to go through these uh, excellent uh, challenges for living out your faith. Uh, does anybody have anybody in their life that's difficult to love, to like, to care about? Um, Alice does that to me every week. All right, but anyway, uh, some really insightful things in here about how you uh, take that challenge and know it's more than a challenge, but it's something that can happen. And so uh, the first two people actually come up to me. Uh, you want your how to love difficult people or how redeeming your painful past? I'll give those two for free. But they're in our resource center, uh, actually below cost for $2 a booklet. And I encourage you just to read that. In fact, anytime you read a booklet, I invite you to come and talk to me about it. Uh, my goal is to read every single one of, booklet, of those booklets in that, um, in that display there. And so uh, I'd be glad to engage any of you in terms of some of the issues there um, related to the Christian life. Also, we mentioned that we just uh, finished Vacation Bible School, and one of the things we did is really emphasize memorizing the Word of God and, and encourage you. We don't do enough of that at Grace Hills Church. I, I try to leak that in there to get you to try to encourage you to, to memorize God's Word, but there is, there's nothing more powerful than in changing uh, your life on the inside is to hide God's Word in your mouth, in your mouth, and not only in your mouth, but in your mind, and be able to speak it out of your mouth. And, and that, uh, that whole week, we emphasize that we need to, to put on the full, full armor of God. The Bible says, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. You know, stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness and having shod your feet with the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the, sh- taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, 
which is the Word of God, praying always. And when, really, when you think about that armor, it's really putting on the Lord Jesus. But it's one thing to say to put on the Lord Jesus. What does that mean? What, how will that impact how you live? It will mean you will live a life based on the truth. It will be a, a life in which you are committed in doing that which is right and recognize God and God alone is the one who makes you right. You'll recognize that in the midst of a world filled with turmoil and struggle and, and pain, that, that God can give you peace because of the message that's found in the gospel. And when you are filled with fear and doubt that, that God is capable of being trusted and relied upon, and that when you go through the struggles of life, you'll trust in him, you'll be able to endure them rather than run from them. And when you think about all the, all the things and all the times we fall short, but when we surrender our lives to Christ, we can have an assurance of salvation because what God gives, he doesn't take away. And, and then when we think about how, how do we live the Christian life and how do we share it with others, we share not our own opinion, but we share the word of God. But in the midst of all those pieces of the armor, which is simply Jesus lived out in our lives, we activate that when we pray. And we can pray always, not just in a place like this, not when we go on special experiences, whether it be a camp or a mission trip or a week of, of ministering with children. But every day, God wants us to begin it with recognizing we need to put on Jesus, the full armor of God, and live that way. And in the passage, we have an over guilted you. I mean, I'm so tempted every time I see each one of you is, you know, the, the passage in Ephesians chapter five, verses one and two. The challenge for us all is therefore be imitators of God as dear children and walk in, in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet smelling aroma. That God wants us wherever we go, whether we, we go across the seas or whether we go across the street, he wants us to take the fragrance of Christ to others because he's made a difference in our lives. So I encourage you, spend the summer and join the beauty of God's creation and all the freedom that we have in, in Christ and in a country that, that gives us so many freedoms. But recognize that we have the truth of the word of God, and that's what changes us from the inside out. Let's pray. Well, I just really pray in the time that we have that you might really speak into our lives. And, Father, that we might have a passion for what you're passionate about. And that, Father, um, that this might not just be a routine, uh, coming to a place like this uh, once a week or multiple times during the week. But it's, it's something that we want to live out every moment of the day. Father, we all fall short. We all don't measure up. But we know that in Christ we do. Help us to experience the joy of Christ in the midst of the adventure, which brings us all kinds of challenges. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, if you have your Bibles this morning, turn to Ephesians chapter 3. And I'm not going to try to speak slowly this morning. That's only for the Philippines. None of you have ever asked that of me here. So I feel a freedom to speak as fast as, as I enjoy speaking. So turn to Ephesians chapter 3. I entitled the message, Church Boring or Amazing? I'm sure none of you have ever struggled with, do I really want to go to church? Do I really, I mean, you know, been there, done that, and I'm over with it. And then if you really, to, to analyze your experience, you'd say, often when that guy gets up and speaks, it's more boring than exciting. And so as you think about why we're here, 
It's sure more motivating when you say there's something here for you. That this is what life begins with and what life is really all about. But we all have to answer that question for ourselves. I mean, for some people, we're saying, hey, uh, the church is amazing. And I, uh, sometimes on those response cards that Brandon urges you to fill out each week, we'll get happy faces and we'll have statements. I love this church and the people here are amazing. And I, I just can't wait to be here and do things for God uh, through the avenue of this church. And other people, I wonder, they were drug here one more time, you know. <laughs> Well, how do, how do we, if we're on the other side of amazing, and we really would honest, if we were honest about how we look at the church, it's boring. Uh, is there a solution to looking at the church that way? And maybe our experience has been that. Maybe we have some high points. We go, we go to a camp or we, we experience you know, something that just thrills us because of uh, the dynamics of the people around us or whatever it might be. What changes us from seeking an experience to seeking God in church. What changes that? Uh, I was uh, wrestling with this past. I've, I've looked at this past many, many times in the past, and I was just trying to get a fresh look at it. And I was, I was just thinking in, our, in my own home, uh, just the, the maturation, or if not the maturation, or the change of, of some of my family members as they experience life. I, I remember growing up with, uh, I remember raising our children, and uh, there is a there's a slight interest on my part towards sports, and and as I was uh, was raising my children, we we kind of I kind of pushed them down that avenue. You know, we I, they did anything and everything with a ball or a bat or whatever it might be. And and one of the sports that I I thought they would just love was the sport that I loved the most when I was growing up. It's not necessarily my favorite sport now, but it was it was the it was the sport that I would dream about, I would think about, I would imagine myself playing forever. And it was uh, the national pastime. It, it, it's, it's baseball. And, and I, I drug my kids to T-ball and then every other level beyond that. And I kept anticipating that, that they would catch the passion for the game. But it didn't matter how many times, you know, they played in terms of how many years. And it didn't even matter how many all-star teams they, they were picked for. They never loved the game. And what I'd put it on TV, they would they'd get out of the room. If I, if I asked them if they want to go see a game, say, wasn't there anything else we could do? And, and I'm thinking, what, what's wrong with them, right? I mean, they have no love for the game. Now, as, we, as I stood back and I asked, well, why don't you like baseball? And, and actually, they had a, a pretty decent response. They said, well, Dad, it's, it's so slow. You know, compared to, you know, soccer or, or football or or basketball, man, it's just nonstop. And baseball, it's, I mean, I, there are parts of it I, I like playing, but there are periods of time where you're just standing and waiting. But then, but then something happened. We, we were still living outside of Orange County, but I think, it was, was it 2004? 2004, um, there was a local team that I guess many of you are familiar with. The, at that time, it only had one city attached to it, but it was the Anaheim, what was the Anaheim? Anaheim Angels. A- and then all of a sudden, they had some, they had some friends that got, they got excited about the potential of the Angels actually going to the World Series. A- and then not only going to the World Series, but actually what? Winning the World Series. And here I had four kids who could care less about anything related to baseball. And now all of a sudden they'd caught 
of passion. Now, had anything changed about the game? Nothing. But now, all of a sudden, they got caught up in the emotion and the enthusiasm of fans, which are short for what? Fanatics about baseball. Now, I want to submit to you that as we look at that this morning, my even though it was the passion of my heart as I was growing up, I, I am not that concerned about whether you are fanatic about baseball. But I am concerned if you have any interest at all in spiritual things that you are fanatic about the church. And I don't know if this message is going to light the fire at all in your heart. But I would I would submit to you that I'm going to share some simple things this morning. If you notice my outline, this is probably the shortest outline I've had in 10 years here. Okay, nine years. But it's not because I don't have enough to say, but I wanted to keep it extremely simple. As we look at the Apostle Paul, who already said, as I read the book of Ephesians, I think as he's writing, it's like oftentimes how I speak. He's just doing it rapidly. He's just saying so many things at once. He doesn't know what he wants to say next or have written next. And this is particularly true in Ephesians chapter 3 because he starts something. Actually, he gives a prelude to what he wants to pray about. And then for basically... 11 verses, he, he says, well, let me digress before I tell you what I really wanted to tell you. And really what he wanted to speak into the heart again is just the majesty of who God is and what he has created called the church. So, so if you have your Bibles this morning, we're going to try to hang Paul's words this morning on church boring or amazing. And then the idea, it will never be boring, number one. Let me just give you the, the, the major points I want to say, which are fairly simple and then you can go to sleep if you want. And then if you, but if you want to listen, you can listen to the, the fill in the white spaces than in your notes. It will never be boring the church if you catch the passion of a person who loves the church. And if you, don't, if you didn't get the connection between the baseball analogy and this first statement, here it is. The reason my kids, my three boys and my girl, got excited about baseball because somehow they caught the passion of others who love baseball. And it just swept them in to, to seeing the, the intricacies of this game that can be very slow at times. But if you look beyond the surface, there's so much going on. And that's often how it is with the church. The, the church at times seems kind of, kind of slow and it doesn't seem to move as fast as you'd like it to see and move. And everything's not on, on um, you know, fast forward. And, and yet, if you look at the intricacies of the church, things are happening all the time. Church will never be worn if you catch the passion of a person who loves the church. So when your love begins to wane cold, then get next to someone who's hot. Secondly, if you observe the mysterious power that changes people in the church. I... I, I, <laughs> I never know what Brandon's going to say when he gets up here, okay? I don't think anybody... I don't think Brandon knows what he's going to say when he's getting up here, okay? But I, I liked it so much when he, when he tied the church into the camp experience. You know, it wasn't just, okay, the youth department, the live student ministries had a, had a week together, and I'll let you in on it. No, this is the church that was at camp that he had, and those who were there had the experience of being there firsthand. But it was the church that was instrumental in lives being changed. 
And when you see lives being changed, when you hear lives being changed, and at BBS we had um, our largest number, and I, I, probably since I've been here, we had 59 different children that had signed up. And, and just it was, as some of the kids, man, this is like magical. Because God was there in all the preparation and all the love displayed to the kids. I, I'm not sure exactly what I'm going to say today either, Brand. But I remember one, one child, and I remember Maria Brock came up to me, I think it was the third or fourth day. He was one of those children. That I, can't, I know you can't imagine this, that sometimes they're a little harder to work with. You know, maybe, you know, sometimes they, they show an attitude or they're, they're a little bit more aggressive. And, and uh, our, our, uh, our leaders were, sh- were showing him love in every station. And, and then one night he says, can I have some food? And then he went on and told some of us that you know, he had been some other places where he was, he was told to leave. But he was showing love, and changes began to happen. You'll, you'll never be bored about the church if, if you get close to someone who is passionate about the church. Church will never be boring if you, if you really... Get in on hearing or participating or being part of lives being changed for eternity. And then thirdly, if you pursue living out the eternal purpose of the church. Because the purpose of the church is the purpose for your life and my life. It's not some institutional thing that's organized religion. It's the purpose and plan of God. And for much of the history of mankind, and particularly the history of this book, the first two-thirds of the Old Testament, this was a big mystery. God was, was leaking it out, but this was his plan. And it unfolds more clearly the purpose that we're on this planet for. Well, well let's look at the text a little bit and... and um, I'll pick and choose about some of the things I was going to say. Uh, Ephesians chapter 3. Paul has, has just, uh, again, written some long sentences out of both chapters. And you remember some of his, some of his sentences are like 14 verses long. Okay? He, just, he just can't stop to breathe or, or put a period down. And he goes from, from one enthusiastic truth to another enthusiastic truth. And, and then he makes this transition as we have divided in our Bibles in chapter 3. He says, for this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus for you Gentiles. Now, the person that's passionate about the church in the New Testament beyond God himself is the Apostle Paul. And he is, he is so in love with the church that God formed. This is not a human invention. Uh, Jesus said in Matthew 16, I will build my church and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. This is, this is a God organization, organism. And, and it says that he loves the church and died for the church. We're going to see that in Ephesians chapter 5. And Paul is, is looking back at, at those who are the, the people in the church. And he says, for this reason, I'm writing to you. And in case you didn't remember everything I said or Paul said, and what were some of the things he said? He said, I want, I want you to know in the past, you guys were outside of Christ. But now you're in Christ. You were, you were 
You were far from God, and now you're near. You were excluded from God's people. Now you're included in God's people. You had no, no share in God's promises. Now you have a full share in God's promises. Then you had false hope. Now you have a true hope. Then you were without God. Now you're with God. Now, just taking that last statement, the, the message found in the true church of God is that you can have a life in union, in relationship with the creator of this universe. It doesn't get any better than that. It doesn't get any better than that. And just that, I was just thinking about that. You know, sometimes people are marked by way of significance, by playing sports, maybe because of their skill or their achievements. Some people are marked in their involvement in sports just simply by the coach they played for. You know, you know, switching from baseball to basketball. And this is actually not to try to really put down somebody, but it's, it's pretty relevant in the sports talk world, is that you know, when someone says on the Lakers that he played for Phil Jackson, you know, his stock goes way up. When you say he play, you, I played for Mike D'Antoni, his stock goes way down. Why? Because one coach had 11 championships. The other has never won a championship his coaching career and what we're saying here with us is that we become part of and connected to the creator of this universe and just having that should excite us about the church not bore us so paul says for this reason i paul the prisoner of christ jesus for you gentiles he said, this is the reason i'm writing to you because i'm so excited about what god has made and let me just tell you again about this, this person who is passionate about the church. And you, all you had to do is be near Paul, and you knew he was going to be talking about the church the, and the Christ of the church. Even though he would describe himself as a prisoner of the head of the church. Now, if I had been in Paul's experience, I wouldn't have talked about being a you know, prisoner to God. I would say I've been a prisoner to, to Rome or to the Jewish people. He, at this point, he had been probably five years in prison. But he, but he doesn't speak about that imprisonment. He speaks to being connected as a servant and slave to the head of the church. Why? Because he was so passionate about the privilege of being connected to him. But then he goes on, he says this. If indeed you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which was given to me for you. And, and now, now he's going to get a little heady, but I, but I want to unpack, unpack it for you. He says, I am so in love with the church because this, this privilege I have had is a privilege given for only such a time as this. You know, when we go through life, there are all kinds of opportunities we have. And some of our greatest regrets is, is having opportunities and then not taking advantage of them. Anybody have any of those regrets? I mean, there's so many illustrations that I don't have time to get. But I mean, we, 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 if I just made that choice then, if I just taken that opportunity at that moment, life would have been so different. And he said, you know what God has He's given me an opportunity that was reserved for such a time as this. And it's a, it's a dispensation. It's a stewardship, some of your um, verses 
have in its translations. It's actually a, a word that's become somewhat familiar in our church fellowship. It comes from the word oikos. But it's oikos connected to another word, namos, which means law. And really what it says, God has given me the law of the house. The law of the house, which means the management of what God is doing. The, the, the direction he's headed. He's given me the privilege in this, this period of God's fullness and grace to unfold to you that which was never experienced in its fullness in the past. Indeed, you have heard of the dispensation, the grace of God, which is given to me for you, how that by revelation he made known to me the mystery, as I have already briefly written. He said that earlier in chapter 2, by which when you read, you may understand my knowledge of the mystery of Christ. And what is that mystery? Verse 5, which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to his holy apostles and prophets that Gentiles should be fellow heirs. Now, again, that's pretty heady stuff, but let me, let me try to make it very simple. So I, I want you to know that in all of God's revelation in the past, no one really understood what he was going to do with people who weren't of his covenant people, Israel. If you were not a Jew, you were not connected to God. You had to become a proselyte. You had to become a Jew. And what happened, and it's still happening today, there became this huge wall. Basically, Jewish people looked at Gentiles. And Gentiles, it, that word Gentile actually comes from a word from which we get um, ethnics. And any, it, you're, sometimes we'll describe to ourselves, what's your ethnical background? In fact, we were having some conversation down here before the service. Are you, are you from South America? Are you from the Middle East? Are you from Iran? Are you from, some people say, I'm, I'm Jewish, I'm I'm from, and you'll, you'll talk about your heritage. And basically, a Gentile was anyone who had an ethnic background different from a Jewish background. And he said, I want you to understand that what has happened is God didn't reveal what he was going to do with all the nations in this world. He, he had told Abraham that he was going to bless all the nations, but no one could figure out, well, how's that going to happen? And he said, I've had the privilege of... of receiving a revelation. And let me just throw this in for free as it relates to the church and being excited about the church and what happens through people in the church. It's what we have in this book is the what? It's the, it's the word of God. It's the revelation or communication from God. We know nothing definitively about God other than what he has told us. And so often people, as they look at this book, they not only say that the church is boring, but they say, what is boring? The Bible is boring. Now, part of it is because when we read it, sometimes we, we struggle with understanding it. But if we always looked at this book, is this is God speaking to us directly, then this would never be looked at as a boring book, maybe a difficult book, maybe a challenging book. Maybe even a big book with a lot of pages and words in it with not too many cartoons or pictures. But this is, this is from God. H how, can we, how can we look at this book or the messages that we get in a place like this or through people like this as boring? This is, this is from God. It, it's like a person who looks at great art and says, yeah, that doesn't do anything for me. <laughs> well, that's a more statement on the person who can't appreciate good art than the art itself. 
And when my kids couldn't love baseball, you know, that was a statement on them rather than the, the sport of baseball, right? And when we're bored with God's word, that's a statement on us. And it might be also a window into our souls whether we really know the author of this book. Now, you know, we're leaving the, the age where our mailboxes were filled with junk mail because most, a lot of things have gone through the Internet, right? But we can make the same analogy with the Internet as well. But we all still get junk mail. Now, how much time do you spend on the junk mail part that you receive? Not a whole lot of time, right? I don't know these people. I don't care what they have to say. I don't, I'm not buying what they're selling. But if you get a letter from someone you know and you care about, it doesn't hit the round file very quickly, does it? And when we don't run to this book, it's, it's a reflection of what's in our heart. And so Paul said, I want you to know for this reason I'm writing to you, and this is a revelation from God to me that was hidden in the past that you might understand the mystery of Christ. And the mystery of Christ, he takes the human race, which the human race has divided in so many different categories. And he says, in Christ, you are one. Turn your Bibles to Galatians chapter 3, verse 28. If you're in Ephesians, you just go hang a left. Galatians 3, verse 28. And Paul, when he writes to the church of Galatia, makes this summary statement. We'll start in verse 27. For as many of you who... As we're baptized in Christ Jesus, put on Christ. Again, that whole idea of when we put on the armor of God, it's putting on Christ. Verse 28, there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all, what? One in Christ Jesus. And so as we look at everyone in this place, and everyone who names the name of Christ and has them in their life, there is no hierarchy here. There is no one better than someone else. The, the ground is level at the cross. The, the biggest challenge for people in the political realm today is, well, what are we going to do about the Middle East? And what Paul is writing, the power of the gospel, could take a Jewish zealot, and a Palestinian terrorist. And if they became um, followers of Christ, there'd be no difference between them because the blood of Christ would make them one. And, and Paul is writing, again, to these who the Jewish people called Gentiles dogs. And they weren't particularly affectionate about dogs. <laughs> they were kind of roving creatures that were ravishing everything. And the Gentiles looked at Jewish people as barbarians. And God has said, what has happened because of the blood of Christ is that you become one. So we, we see Paul just passionate about communicating this which, which God has given him. But, but let's look a little bit further. If We need to also realize he's, he's talking about the mysterious power that changes people's lives. Look at verse 6. He said that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ through the, the gospel, of which I became a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given to me by the effective working 
of his power. Now, there's two illustrations of what happens in the life, in the message of the head of the church, which is Christ in the church through his people. His lives get changed. And he gives a global illustration that between Jew and Gentile, who were, who were uh, vicious enemies of each other, they both hated each other. A Jewish person would wake up in the morning and say, you know, I'm glad you didn't make me a Jew. Because, I mean, I'm glad you didn't make me a Gentile, because Gentiles are just fuel for the fire in hell. That's how much they hated those who were outside the covenant people of God. And the Gentiles have persecuted the Jewish race throughout history, trying to eliminate them because there's hatred there. But he said what happens in Christ is that all changes. But in verse Seven, he also speaks about what happened to him. He says, to which I became a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given to me by the effective working of his power. The word working there, I talked about the mysterious power of people being changed in the church. The word for working there is the word for energy. And the word power there is the word from which we get dynamite. This is explosive power, explosive energy that God changes people. And we live, we live in a culture now where the message is, is people can't change. Not, only, not just that they won't change or don't, or don't want to change, but they can't change. And the message of the church, the message of Christ, is anyone can change because of the power of God and because the energy that he infuses in people's lives who can take people far from him and make them completely new people in Christ. See, Paul was a poster child of a person who you would least expect to be a Christ follower. He hated that Christian group, that Christian sect, that Christian cult. He went around imprisoning people. He, he was, he was in, in, in union with those who had put Christians to death. But God grabbed a hold of him. Paul, who was a man filled with pride, and even his own personal testimony, Philippians 3, he talks about, I was the chief of everything. I was the best tribe, the best training. If people were to compare my righteous living to anyone else, I was far beyond them. And now he describes himself as a, as a servant. The word minister there, and sometimes we talk about people like me, well, there's, there's the minister. You know, they don't call him the pastor. There's the minister. The word minister simply means servant. That's all it means. You see, in fact, going on there, look at verse 8. Paul, who was so filled with pride, verse 8, when he became a Christian, to me who am less than the least of all the saints, this grace was given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. I, I didn't deserve this privilege. I, I, there's nothing in me that merits being God's spokesman. I, I'm just a servant. I have more to be shamed about than I have to be proud about, about what I did to what God was doing in the lives of people. See, God changes people. And he does that through his church, which he has created, which he has made. And through which the word of God is communicated and taught and people are to live out. And when we're bored with the church, we're bored with God's program. 
And when we become bored with God's program, we need to come alongside someone who's not cold about the church, but hot about the church. And when we think nothing is happening, we need to look at lives that are being changed from, from little ones to older ones. Uh, I, was, uh, I was thinking back to a, a person I met probably 15 years ago, and her name was Emily Dunkelberger. And uh, she, was, uh, she had a funny name, but she had a great story. She was, she was 74, and her, her husband had just died, and she was wondering, what, what am I supposed to do with my life? I'm in good health, but uh, you know, what am I supposed to do? She loved Jesus, she loved the church, and she loved doing whatever she could, but she, she described herself this way. She says, you know, I, I have no experience, I have very little education, no talent to speak of. All I have is my availability. Well, then, then she heard at her church that there was a, there was a mission in Mexico that, that needed someone to go down there simply to go and cut wire at one-foot lengths. She says, well, I don't have much experience, I don't have much talent, much education, but I can cut wire in one-foot lengths. So she went down there. She was there about a year, and then she got finished cutting one-foot lengths of wire. And she thought that might be over, but then uh, as she came back to the States, uh, there was a call from Hong Kong, and they, they needed a grandmother for children in the mission in Hong Kong. And she says, well, you know, I don't have much education, I don't have any experience, I, I, you know, I don't have much talent, but I could be a grandmother for kids. So she went to Hong Kong for a year. Well, the mission uh, had some changes and some things happened in terms of other people came in. They didn't have that specific need for a grandmother or children in Hong Kong, so she came back to the States. And then, then she got a message from Korea. And, and then and in South Korea, they, they, had, they had some need for, for people to um, cook and sew for the mission team there. So, well, you know, I don't have much education, I don't have a lot of experience or talent, but I, I can cook and I can, I can sew a little bit. So she was there for a year. And, and then the, that same mission in Hong Kong that didn't need her for a while, they called back after that was done, and they asked her to come back and say, well, I know we didn't need you, but now we need you again to be a grandmother to these children. And this went on and on and on. Until she died in her late 80s. And if you were to ask her, and at the time she was, her health was failing, the time she says, you know, I've never had much education. I haven't had a whole lot of experience doing a whole lot of anything. I don't have many talents. All I have is my availability. And see, when Paul got to that point where he recognized all the things he took pride in were not that important except relying on what God was calling him and giving him capacity to do. That's when God used him to change lives. How do we get excited about the church? <laughs> Understanding that there's people who love it and are passionate, and we want to know what, why we are not in on that. We need to look at the lives that people are being changed, not only locally, but globally. And when we go to the Philippines, we go as your representative. But in, in a larger sense, we need to recognize this is the purpose of our lives. Look at, look at how he finishes this whole section. He, he finishes in the verses I hadn't read already, verse 9, to make, see, make see 
Make us all see what is the fellowship of the mystery which from the beginning of ages has been hidden to God who created all things through Jesus Christ. And then in verse 10 through 14, he says this. To the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places. According to the eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In whom we have boldness and access with confidence through faith in him. Therefore I ask that you do not lose heart in my tribulation for you which is your glory. Time is already gone. and We could pick out some specific words out of those four verses there. But he said, I want you to understand, the church is here to, to make known the nature and character of God, which is what giving God the glory is all about. And he says, I want you to know that the whole world needs to see that, but even the other created beings that you don't see, the unseen uh, forces, the, the good angels and the evil angels, they're watching. And, and how we live in the church reflects the glory of God, particularly, he says, the wisdom of God. Now, the angelic world and actually the, the, the human race, if they acknowledge that we didn't come here by accident, understand there's the power of God. You, you, you can't go before a, a storm or an earthquake or a roaring wave on the seas or whatever might not recognize that there's power in this universe. And it would have to come from powerful beings. But beyond that, what else do we know about God? Well, when God created the church and sent Christ as the head of the church, the wisdom of God is displayed. One author put it this way. We see the power of God in creation. We see the wisdom of God in new creation. How is, how is God going to take all these people who are so diverse, who have so many different passions and directions that are going? How can he, how can he change people? By uniting them in his son. By making them all one in Christ. So, as the athlete would say, it's not the name on the back of the jersey that counts. It's the name on the front of the jersey. That, that we, don't, we, don't, we don't live to have people look at us, but we live by reflecting who put us on the team. Who put us in that eternal family. That, that God who is, who is holy and powerful he's gracious and merciful and he uses the church to change people not only initially when they come to know christ but to transform them completely on the inside out to reflect who he is that's the church let's not be bored with church let's be amazed at what god does Let's pray. Father, we just ask that as we take all these, as Paul said, the unsearchable riches, which means it's unlimited. There's so much in Christ that we have no appreciation for, not not a sense of what we should have. Help us to want to mine the depths of who Christ is. Help us to want to dig deep in what the church is to be and to live out. Help us to be lights in a world that only see darkness. And help us do it to reflect who you are to others. And Father, as we continue to worship and as we give unto you, if there's anyone here that doesn't know you, might they open up their lives and understand what a Christian is, is is one who surrenders to the one who came for them. 
and we praise in Christ's name. Amen.